Oh, you're ready? Okay. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. My patient today is John Regi, who has written for some of my favorite comedies on TV. I'm sure some of yours, including 30 Rock, The Comeback, and The Larry Sanders Show. And he was kind enough to come over here, and we talk all about... Oh my gosh, lots of stuff. Tina Fey, uh, he has a house in Italy, he makes his own tortellini. It's a great episode. And while I have you, I just want to urge you, if you haven't already, to subscribe to this podcast in iTunes. Give it a good review if you like it. And if you want to know what I'm eating for lunch, uh, give me a follow on Instagram at Lunch Therapy. All right, so here we are with John Regi. So have you, you've done a lot of podcasts, I imagine. I've done a, yeah, a fair amount, I guess. I don't know, really know what a lot of podcasts are at this point, but yeah, I've done, an, I've done some. <laughs> you've done some? Yeah. So, okay. I mean, we should say for our listeners, I mean, you have written for some of the like greatest comedies that have ever been on television. Oh, you seem like a very nice person. <laughs> so how, do, how are you still like a sane person? I mean, I imagine that those were, you know, difficult experiences or really um, great experiences. They were, they were, they were challenging. I don't know if they were difficult, but they were challenging for yeah. sure. Uh, but, um, you know, the work was good mm-hmm. and I knew it was good. And, um, um, you know, my, my thing is always, I should turn my phone off, I guess. Oh yeah. I should um, do that too. um, my thing is always that I don't, you know, I don't think anyone can tell if a show's going to work, mm-hmm. but I at least know what I think is good and what I think is um, a story that I'm interested in being around and characters that I like. So I've tried to to uh, pick those things. And yes, some of them were difficult, more difficult than others, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, but all of them were very uh, satisfying. Yeah, I probably didn't take the right slant on that because I mean, there's there's probably a lot of joy in having worked on such wonderful shows too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot. I mean, the, there's a lot of heavy lifting and there's yeah. a lot of late hours and you give up a lot and and um you know and sometimes when you're you know when you're in the thick of it and you're doing it n- at least for me mm-hmm. nothing else matters. It's the show is everything and everything is the show and and everything else is just a distraction. Then when you get out of it. Mm-hmm. And you have a little bit more perspective and it's a little bit more in the rear of your mirror. Sometimes you start to go, well, was it, did I really just have to take three days off to get married? Which is what I did. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, and so it, so you wonder about stuff like that, I think. But I mean, when you were working, so I, we should say like 30 Rock, The Comeback, Larry Sanders Show. I mean, when you, when you were on these shows, were you aware that you were part of what's now, you know, his, the history of great comedy on television? Well, 30, I mean, uh, the Larry Sanders Show was my first job and I wow. did not, I mean, before that I had written, um, for Dennis Miller, uh, he had a talk show, and I did a strip show, uh, just a five-day-a-week strip show where you just wrote jokes and monologues. Stuff. Oh, so not a strip show where you were taking your clothes no, off. <laughs> not that kind of show. <laughs> okay. uh, but um, uh, um, and then I left that. That show got canceled very quickly. <laughs> and uh, and I, but I really wanted to do the Larry Sanders show. I became aware of it, and I really wanted to do it. So I got on it, and it was my first narrative show that I'd ever done, mm-hmm. and I really thought that that's how every show was. Like, I didn't know, like, I didn't know anything. Like I didn't like, like we didn't write, we would write our scripts and our scripts didn't have act breaks in them, which is like a standard thing. So like when, <laughs> when, when I went to my next job and they were like, what's the act break? I was, I was like, 
yes, what is the outbreak? <laughs> I've never even heard that term before, wow. except in a play. So, and I thought the caliber of actors was going to be like that. And I thought the way we shot it was going to be like that because it was, you know, it was a single camera show that we shot in, we shot in two days. We shot Larry Sanders show in two days. We'd shoot like 17 pages a day, which is unheard of. On a regular single cam, if you get seven in it, like on 30 Rock, if we, a, a heavy day for us was seven pages. Right. On Larry Sanders, we shot 17. We shot it in two days. So because it was a different, we, we shot two cameras going simultaneously and sometimes we used three. So there was no turning around. There was no relighting. It was just, we went mm -hmm. and that's the way we shot it because Gary really wanted the show to feel that way. So I went to my next job thinking, oh, they're all like that. And then I found out it wasn't like that. And my next job was actually a multicam. I'd never been on one of those. I didn't even know what it was mm -hmm. really. So there was a lot of adjustment, but, and so with Larry Sanders, I didn't realize what it was until I was there for a while. And then I started, you know, we got a lot of critical acclaim and people were talking about us. And then I, I started to very slowly realize that it was like, that it was more of a special show than a lot of other shows on TV. I think even as an audience member, when I watched it on TV, I mean, I loved it, but I, I think now looking back on it, I mean, it feels like such an important show too. Yeah. You know, I guess it's like as time passes, people get more perspective on what it was. Yeah. And I also think it was a show that was easier to like, you know, eight, I always say to people, it's just so funny that I can remember when HBO was just HBO. In mm -hmm. other words, it wasn't owned. Right. It wasn't a time Warner company. It wasn't worn, owned by Warner media. It wasn't owned. It wasn't corporatized mm -hmm. and it didn't have, it, it it basically was subscriber-based uh, television network, mm -hmm. and that's what they did. They just put on television. They put on content, and they got their money from their subscribers, and it was as simple as that model. So in that way, it was just very much kind of like, oh, we like this idea. Go do it. Mm -hmm. you know. And there was very little, very little involvement from HBO. Right now, there's all kinds of corporations yeah. involved. Wait, so now I feel like you must get asked about TV stuff all the time. But this is this is exciting, maybe for you. I mean, I literally don't know anything about your relationship to food, mm -hmm. but I imagine that that was maybe a draw because I know that we we were connected through Jenny Connor. Yes. And are you and are you a cook? I mean, do you like? To I do cook. <laughs> I do. My mom had a, a an Italian restaurant when I was a kid. Okay. So I worked in that restaurant for all the time I was in high school. Mm -hmm. um, I cook um i am friends with a lot of cooks um Great. i have a whole sort of northern california posse that i'm friends with of you know in this sort of you know alice water chez panisse david tannis that world of wow. people um so i do know them and i see them and i'm not i would not say that we're best friends but we see each other every once in a while socially um and yes yeah, so food is a big part of my life. Yes. That's I wonderful. Say. Yeah. I had a That's feeling. And true. also, I mean, like before you came on, I Googled you and I was yeah. like listening to other podcasts and I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I imagine like talking about Hollywood and the industry I mean, hopefully it'll be refreshing for you to get to talk about something as different as your lunch. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I love that. I mean, yeah. I think that's, I think you, I, that I tried the way I try to survive is have a balance with other things. Yeah. So, yes. So I'm very interested in those things. Well, too. before we even get to your lunch, I was going to ask you, cause I mean, I, I was lucky enough to get to write on a TV show. So I was in a writer's room and the food in a writer's room is notoriously not great. Ours wasn't terrible. We got to order in, but I, I want to know like as a, 
food lover and someone whose mom was a chef or owned a restaurant, um, in all these various rooms you were in, did you eat well or how did you survive? I used to, um, you know, I think that, you know, first of all, I, I, there, I, I, I have a, a, I'm, I have two uh, minds of thinking about it in the one sense. And I've actually talked to Tina Fey about this and she used to tell me this all the time. Is like on a certain level, I, I think to myself, I should just get down on my knees and thank God that someone is bringing me free food. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of people in the world that don't have a lunch. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, writers get incredibly spoiled and, and are just like, Oh, I don't want you. Like, <laughs> like Tina told us that in the height of thir- of, uh, SNL that they could just order whatever they wanted. And literally they'd be ordering like lobsters. They'd order like, you know, 60 lobsters for the room and they'd get there and then they'd be like, Oh, this is cold. I don't want it. You know? And they'd be like throwing out lobster. (laughs) So I, but I will admit to the fact that when, especially when I was in New York working on 30 rock, the choices in, um, in Queens, in where we were shooting was they were so um, limited Mm -hmm. that a lot of times I would not eat lunch and I would wait until I got out and then I'd go to a restaurant in New York that I really liked and had like, and have like a massive meal at like 1030 at night. I'd go to like Lupa and have dinner. That's amazing. So you would just be hungry all day. Yes. What about snacking? Yeah, I try not to, but it was not, it was not, it was not a great system. That's for sure. It was interesting when I was in the room, what I noticed is a a younger generation of TV writers were interested in healthy lunch options. They wanted salads, they wanted green bowls, but kind of the older guard wanted like greasier, like burgers and fries. And there was always a debate about what what we were going to get. Well, that when the binder comes into the room with like, what are we going to order for lunch? Mm -hmm. It's one of my worst moments because I just want somebody to, and I don't want to decide like, because I know no matter what you pick, somebody in the room is going to be disappointed. So I'd rather just not pick and let someone else do it. But, um, but yeah, it was, uh, the food is, is not great. Generally it's not great. (laughs) So you would wait, so you would eat, you would not eat during the, and then you would reward yourself at night. And then I'd go out at night and have like a big dinner and some, I'll, significant amount of wine and then wake up in the morning feeling pretty bad yeah. and start all over again. And did, did you, did you, was it like almost like a secret existence, like from the other TV writers in the room where they, no, they- I had a friend, my friend, uh, I worked on the show with Kay Cannon and Kay and I both were like, let's go out to dinner, right. but she would still order. She'd order something right. and eat it. And, and I didn't do it all the time. Like I would, when we, Go to certain places that I did like, I would just be like, oh, I'll get that. But then sometimes if it was bad, I, what I would do is I would just make myself a sandwich because we always had that in the kitchen. And mm-hmm. I would just go make a sandwich and think this is just better than what they're going to order. Because but I, but I always felt like, and I'm curious how you feel about this, because you talked about like your friends in Northern California and sort of like the Alice Waters world. Like I felt secretly pretentious in the writer's room. If I was like going to be like, oh, what's the origin of these lettuce leaves? Yes. Were they picked freshly this morning? I mean, did you feel like you had to conceal that part of yourself? In a, Cause I feel like comedy writers are notoriously like brutal about that yeah, kind of stuff. I, I didn't feel like I had to conceal it. Be, and I also have a healthy, I think I have a pretty healthy dose of, of, um, I'm a little cynical about that element, <laughs> like that thing of like, is, where did this, is this, is this, is this organic kale? It's right. just like at a certain point, I'm like, stop. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. I don't want to hear about the organic kale. Sure. I don't want to hear about it. You know, um, I have, um, I remember, uh, um, 
my husband and I went to dinner, a place opened in Palm Springs and it was very frou-frou-y kind of overly priced, overly pretentious. Oh, just, just far too, you know, just too, too. And the guy walked up to us and said, how I ordered scalps. And he, I said, how are the scalps? And I said, they're good. And he said, aren't they, what was the word? I can't remember, (laughs) but it was literally like, it was literally like, aren't they extravagant? (laughs) <laughs> and I and I he walked away and I said we're never coming here again. I'm not going to listen to somebody. Yeah, there's talk a lot of pretension yeah, in the food I can't world. Take that. Um, well, this might be a good segue to. Now I should preface this also by saying that you know the the people I've had on so far I somewhat knew. I didn't know Jenny, but yeah. I knew everyone else. And so the attempt now to like psychoanalyze you based on your lunch is very intimidating to me. Okay. But I think we'll do it together. I All think right. we'll explore it together. Okay. So John, what did you eat for lunch today? Well, for lunch today, I l- literally had a leftover salad <laughs> that I had gotten last. We went to the movies last night to see Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Oh, great. And, and I had, and my husband who has, who is very thin and eats like a horse and is, but is just always thin. So I said to him before we went in the movie theater, are we going to go eat afterwards? And he said, no, no, I had a huge lunch. I, I don't need anything or when I get home, I'll have a little quinoa salad or something like that. I said, okay, so then I'm going to have a, I'm going to get a, 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 one of those chicken sausage things that the arc light, which isn't great, but I was starving. So I eat it. And when we watch the movie and the movie, literally the lights come up and he looks at me and goes, do you want to go get something to eat? Oh, no. So I was like, wow. okay. So we went to Stella bar. By the way, I would have smoke coming out of my <laughs> yes. ears if that happened. Yes. I mean, my husband and I fight all the time about food and uh, that would kill yes. me. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I was so kind of like, Oh brother. So <laughs> I went to, and he orders pizza at like 10 o'clock at night. So I order uh, a salad, a chopped salad with some uh, chicken breast in it. And I took like three bites and I really wasn't that hungry. So I was like, well, I'll take this home and I'll eat it tomorrow. And so that's what I did. But that's, <laughs> I would say that's an unusual lunch for me. Yeah. I was going to say, did you have any awareness that you were going to be coming on a podcast about what you ate for lunch when you saved the salad for lunch? Well, it, I think it's almost impossible to not know that because yeah. I knew that I was going to come here. And then I started thinking, cause I don't know what, it, it does say. So I was like, is this like part of me was going, well, is that good? Like, oh, look, there's someone who's responsible and try not to, you know, enlarge, you know, leave a small footprint and they eat what they ordered and they're trying yeah. to do this. And then part of me is like, oh, but does it seem kind of like dirt baggy? Like, oh, he didn't even want to buy himself lunch. He ate his leftover salad. From well, first of all, there's no judgment night. here. Yeah. It's all, everything's okay. Yeah. So, I mean, my first question though is about how did the salad keep overnight in the fridge? Well, here's the thing. I, it was, it was very overdressed Oh, and there's nothing I like more me too. than an overdressed oh, salad. Me too, totally. And honestly, if it wilts a little bit, I like it even more. Oh, wow. So it was... Perfectly wilted uh-huh. and um, and great and very satisfying and awesome and whatever. I've seen Ina Garten on her show. I think I've seen her do this blend leftover salad into soup. Yeah. And that's <laughs> yeah, she, kind of an interesting. I think it's just, she just takes like chicken broth and like dumps salad in and then blends it. Yes. Which is something to think about. Yes. Um, wow. Okay. So now I'm just trying to like piece this all together. So there was... So last night, uh, can we walk back through the the movie experience was not your lunch, but I think it's it's part of the lunch story, which is that you had this 
evening out with your husband. Right. And I often, when I have people on, we talk about couples and relationships and how food plays into it. Um, and so it sounds to me like already I'm getting a sense that there was a little negotiating going on with the going into the movies. I, have, are we going to have dinner afterwards? Is that a normal kind of thing between you guys? Like, oh yes, yeah. because he he honestly does have like like low blood sugar issues, mm-hmm. so he needs to eat. He's like a child. Like I really should carry around like a thing of Cheerios in a bag uh-huh. and just give them to him. But he 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 needs to eat. Yes. So so that's why I check in. Mm-hmm. But he had said, oh, he's like, oh no, I've eaten this. I've you know I've got I had giant uh, it's just a just giant giant lunch. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I'm positive. And also. I was thinking, well, even if we do get out and even if he is hungry, everything's going to be closed because we're going to see an eight o'clock movie. Sure. But uh, Richard Linklater, uh, <laughs> he screwed me over because we got out of the movie and I looked at my watch and it was 9.35. Really? It's a short and movie. And I was like, <laughs> and the guy said two hours oh, when he walked in. In but, his little speech at the beginning. Yeah, but I guess it was a 7.45 movie, and maybe there was, I guess there was just not enough previews, and they started on time. Now, for me, like, personally, like, going to a movie, I have spent the whole afternoon thinking about where we're going to have dinner yeah. first. Now, do you tend to build, generally, not last night, but generally, like, planning an evening? Like, will, will you think about the meal attached to it? I mean, how... How do you and your husband negotiate meals generally like with an evening out? Not well. Okay. We, we, he will say to me, where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. And generally the places I want to go in our, first of all, I don't want to leave our neighborhood. That's one thing that I will say. I think it's a remnant kind of new, of New York is that I just go to the places that are nearby. Mm-hmm. So I never want to go like it, it, it's, it's, it's the end of my life if he says to me, can we go to JAR tonight? Because I have to drive all the way <laughs> I over know. there. Oh, we just had a friend whose birthday was in Santa Monica. <laughs> yeah. And I think it ended the friendship, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's just awful. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, but yes, we do, like, we have our friends coming over tonight, and the three of us are going to dinner, and probably, I would say, at about... I got back from the gym at about 1130 and the first thing we started talking about is where are we going, where are we going to make a dinner mm-hmm. reservation? And that went on for a while and we went down the list and there are certain places he just won't go. Mm-hmm. And there are certain places that I don't want to go to. Now, how long have you and your husband been together? Oh my God, 25 or 30 years. Oh, yeah. okay. So this is not like a new relationship. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no this this is like, this is like, it's, it's crazy because yeah. he does this thing where he says, uh, I'm, I'm, he does this hilarious thing to me all the time when we're in a restaurant where he'll say, he'll look at me and go, just so you know, I'm not drinking. I'm mm-hmm. not drinking. And I always say, well, just so you know, I, I don't work here. The person <laughs> you should say that to is the waiter. Right. He'll be here in a minute. I don't care if you're drinking or not drinking. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, we, 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 and, but then, and so he'll want to go on this real thing of like, I want to eat clean. I don't want to eat a lot of heavy stuff. This is what I'm doing right now. And then literally on a Thursday night, he'll, he'll just pop a grenade and go, let's go have a pizza. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's kind of unpredictable. Well, it's funny because my husband's sister studied to be a therapist and she described the difference, difference between me and my husband is like, I'm Jewish and I come from a family that she described as a one creature with multiple heads right. and that Craig comes from a family of individuals. Right. And it really is helpful because it's like when I, when I'm with my family, like 
it's taken as like a, a huge, like everybody has to know like what everybody's getting at the table. Like my mom needs to know like, what are you ordering? No, no, don't order that. I'm getting this. No, no. You want that? You know, it's like a, it's a committee, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like seen as like a huge scandal if I go off script and stuff. Whereas with Craig, like the idea that I would care what he has for dinner, like it boggles his mind. It's like, why do you care? Right. And, right. And uh, so when you told that story about your husband, you know, saying, oh, I had a big lunch, like that would throw me for a loop. <laughs> yeah. But wait, what's your, now are you, Rigi, is that an Italian name? Yes. Okay. So yes. did you grow up in a big food? Like, was there a lot of Italian cooking in the Well, family? my mom, I, I had a very small family. I had my sister and myself and my mother. My mom and dad were divorced. It was just the three of us. But my mother used to make a big dinner every Sunday. Wow. And, um. Was this in L.A.? No, it was in Ohio. Ohio, okay. Yeah. And uh but I go to Italy at least at least once a year, sometimes twice. Um I have an apartment there in my mom's hometown and that's it's it's slightly different than what you're describing. I don't know that anyone really cares in my family what anyone else is eating, mm-hmm. but everyone has to eat. That's mm. that is their thing. Right. I, I I've I've said this many times the my niece my I brought my, I'm, I'm very particularly close to one cousin and his wife. And so I flew them over, he and his wife and their two sons. And they flew over and they came to LA. They'd never been to California before. They'd never been to the United States before. And I always tell this, and, and literally at 1230, Italians, I mean, I think Italians and Jewish people are like this. Like oh, totally. at 1230, no matter what, you stop and it's like, where are we eating? Oh like, my God. We yeah. have got to have lunch. Yes. It's the idea of skipping a meal is so foreign. Oh, so yeah. we went to um, Hamburger Hamlet on at the time. <laughs> they were buying t-shirts on Hollywood Boulevard and they were, and they wanted to go they saw they saw hamburger and they were like oh hamburger and I was like sure let's go there so we go and get hamburger Hamlet it was a very hot day like today and so we get a, these cokes and they come in those big red plastic tumblers at hamburger Hamlet and they down these cokes in like three minutes and so the lady came and got picked up the cokes and came back and brought them back more coke and my cousin said to me in Italian oh tell her not to do that we don't want to we don't want another Coke. We don't want to have to pay for another Coke. And I said, you don't have to pay for it. It's free. And they were like, it's free. We're moving here. Like the, the idea that they could get, got free Coca-Cola was the greatest thing in their lives. Oh and goodness. like seeing that through their, through their, that lens of like, Oh, that doesn't happen in their country. Right. Like that's, a food thing that we just take for granted here. It's also like, why yeah, like Americans are 500 pounds. Exactly. <laughs> like Europeans exactly. are all great. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it's so funny because I mean, on that note, like Craig's family once came to visit, we, we were in New York at the time and we all went out to get croissants from like a really nice bakery in the morning at like 10 and we all just had the croissants and we were enjoying them. And then we went about our day. We went to a museum and we went to like a show and it was like, you know, whatever we were doing. And I remember like the dawning awareness that I had, like, that was it. Like, they're not going to eat them. They're not having lunch. Right. And I couldn't believe it. It was as if like the cloud of death were, I mean, I was just, you know, I just had to, had to like go to a hot dog cart and just get some food in me. But just that feeling of having to have a meal at 1230. I yeah. mean, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have that. I will say I can skip yeah. lunch and it doesn't really matter to me, but they're very much like, 
that's part of life. Well, I'm already getting from you, like, I, even as we talked about the writer's room, and now we're talking about your your night last night and your lunch today, that there's almost like two modes that you might operate in. One is like casual, sort of like just rolling with it, like being in the room, whatever we order, I'll eat it, whatever is going on at the movies, I'll deal with it. But I, I'm very curious about the other side of you, like when you are full gourmet, like ready to yeah, make a great meal. The other side is, is get out the pasta machine and start making stuff and make some kind of... Uh, a very elaborate meal or I'd love you know. to hear about that. Yeah. Um, well, I make, uh, I make, you know, like I, I, I wanted to learn how to make in gnocchi, which is a very tricky, somewhat tricky thing to make. So when I, about seven or eight years ago, I literally went one time I went to Italy and my cousin's wife's sister, who's, an unmarried older Italian lady. Mm-hmm. I literally, her name is Rosanna. And I was like, Rosanna, can you show me how to make a gnocchi? And she's like, ah, what am I going to show you? There's nothing <laughs> to show. And I was like, yeah, yeah, there is. Can you do it? And I remember, and I videotaped the whole thing. Oh, like I just amazing. took my phone out and videotaped her making a gnocchi. And then I came home and did everything that she did. And it was a disaster. <laughs> and then I slowly started to get, to keep doing it until I started to feel it and, feel what it's and know what it's supposed to feel like in your hands and being able to adjust to sort of make that work. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's a real beauty to that. And there's a, 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 a also a very calming element uh, to me or for me in it because um, my mom passed away a few years ago. And when my mom would cook and from the time I was a little boy, my mom made pasta and tortellini and she made everything herself and I always would be there, like I she'd get a chair, a kitchen chair, and I would stand on a kitchen chair, and she and I'd watch her. And if she made tortellini, she'd like let me close them, like I would close mm-hmm. them up or something like that. But the biggest thing about it is, is I remember the way her hands would move when she would make the pasta. And now when I do it, that's what I see. Oh. Like I feel like I have this connection to her that a lot of other people who have lost somebody don't have because mm-hmm. I see my hands moving and, and I kind of think to myself, she put that in there. Like, like that's her in this, it's a different manifestation of her, but that's her and I'm seeing it and it's physical. It's, it's not a memory. It's not a, it's not a photograph. It's actually happening in real time right now. I'm here touching it mm-hmm. and it's very tactile and real and, uh, and then when you take that product and get to serve it to people, it's very satisfying. And it also feels like you're carrying something on. And I don't know, it just, it has a bigger meaning to me. So no, that's you're beautiful. right, yeah. because I have both sides of that. I have absolutely where I'll be like, I don't care. Just let me, I'll eat a piece of <laughs> peanut, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Yeah. And then other times I'll be like, no, we have to make a nine course meal. And right. I'm making buff bourguignon tonight. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's the way you just thing. described the tortellini and your mom, that was really beautiful by the way. And it's funny because Craig and I, I don't think we're going to have children, mm-hmm. but if we were to have children, that literally is the thing that excites me most is the idea of like passing on this knowledge, this love and like feeding it. You know, there's something about the way your mom fed you yeah. that uh, to me is like one of the most beautiful things about human existence. Well, she was always that I think that was one of her favorite our favorite phone calls. If I call her up and say, Ma, I'm making, you know, I'm making this bechamel sauce for the for the lasagna and I how much do I and but my mother never followed a recipe. So my mother would just say, Well, put in some milk, 
And then I'd say, how much milk? And she'd say, yeah, you know, you look at it, see <laughs> right. what it feels like. And, you know, she's like, you know, you saw me make it. It's got to be loose, but you got to wait. And she would just say all these sort mm-hmm. of random, not specific things. But what she was right about is I had seen her do it. So I, she, what, what would sort of happen is in a moment when I'd be kind of like, I'd kind of lose myself in it. I'd call her up and she'd be like, no, just, just do it. You just do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like. I don't know. There's a very Zen quality to cooking that I find very relaxing. And especially when I don't really follow a recipe, Mm -hmm. like I, you know, like we potentially, uh, I might, we might, Jenny, I might be cooking dinner on Sunday. And if we do, I'm so excited about (laughs) it because it would just be so much fun. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, maybe this is a weird question, but do you think there's any correlation between um, cooking the way you just described it and comedy writing in the sense that if you tried to describe it to someone on the phone, like how to write comedy, right. you wouldn't be able to be like, here's, here's what comedy is. It's almost like it's in you. It's, it's in your bones in a way. And I think I, yes, I think there's a certain amount, like, I think you can, you know, you can definitely teach, if you're teaching somebody, you can definitely sort of help people with their knife skills, or you could say, you know, this is the, you know, this is the right way to, you know, peel it or, you know, cut up a shallot so you don't bruise it. You can do all those little technical things. But I do think that both, and, and the same thing in comedy, I think it's like, well, you know, you always, you, this is sort of, this is, here's five constructions of jokes that mm-hmm. you are commonly done. And you can kind of show them the framework. It's like a little skeleton of a thing. And then you plug in all the words and do all of that. But that's, that's to me is the, operative word that's kind of bad is it's plug-in. It's mm-hmm. like, it's not, it's not coming from somewhere. And I feel like in both of them, in cooking and in comedy, the only thing you have is like, I, I always tell writer friends of mine, I'm always like, look, write it the way you want it because that's all you've got really. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the only thing that's going to make your script different from anybody else is you and your voice and the way you are going to say it. And you know what? Here's the danger. Maybe the way that you're going to say it is bad, <laughs> but at least it's your bad sure. way of saying it. But it is, it, it eventually will get good because you'll come in, you'll, you'll figure out how to grab the reins of that horse that you're on and make it do what you want mm-hmm. because you do have a, you do have an engine inside of you that's trying to go somewhere. And I think it's the same way with cooking. It's like, you know, I know I cook a lot different than a lot of my friends cook and I don't, and I'm much more kind of in the moment and I just go with it in the, and I will have pretty much say the only time I ever get into trouble in the kitchen is if I start overthinking it or over analyzing it or tensing up or thinking it's not going to happen it that's the recipe for disaster. For and sure. it's so funny because that's exactly the same thing with comedy. Like I remember in the room, like when I, my worst moments at the beginning was I was so nervous and I would think about like, what would be the funniest thing I could possibly, and I would say it and it'd be like a lead weight <laughs> dropped on the table. And then the best stuff I would come up with would always just be like off the cuff. Like I wouldn't even th- just say something fun- like yeah. in that moment. And so that's really cool to hear you talk about that and the yeah. connection. Um, well, I was going to ask just to go back through some of the stuff though. So Italy, like your family, are they from Northern Italy, Southern Italy? Uh, Central, right outside of Rome where Roman, Romanacci is my mother. Used to say. Okay. Yeah. And so is that where you go when you go? Yeah. There's year? a little town called Nettuno that's right next to the better known town is this town Anzio, which is where the Americans landed during World War II in Italy, and um, it's right on the 
on the Mediterranean and it's really beautiful. And uh, yeah, we go there. And so what's the cuisine like there? I mean, is it sort of hearty? Is it? It's Roman, you know, sort of like a a lot of fish. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of red sauces. Um, There's um, a lot of meat. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, A lot of like organs and things like that. Some. Yeah. I mean, my family's not super into that Mm -hmm. there, but you know, they, there's a lot of, uh, really great, there are, there's actually a lot of really great vegetables and stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Roman artichoke is like a classic Roman thing. Um, that's, that's, there's a lot of cooking with that, but there's a lot of, there's, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of pasta and mm-hmm. there's a lot of, um, different kinds of pasta and a lot of fish based pastas are there too. I love pasta. Yeah, I'm going to make too. pasta tonight. I'm just like, yeah. I can always eat pasta. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, I mean, in terms of your journey, cause you talked about growing up in Ohio, you talked about your mom owning a restaurant mm-hmm. and then like years later you bought a place in the town in Italy where your family's from. But had you always identified so closely with your Italian roots? Was that, was that always important to you? Not not initially. The first time my mom took me to Italy where I was a kid and I hated it because I couldn't um, – my mom spoke to us in Italian from the time I was a kid. So mm. so my sister and I, we could understand Italian, but we never really spoke it. Mm-hmm. And then I went to Italy and my mom took us – we went for six weeks because she hadn't seen her family in a long time. And it was the first time she had put enough money together where she could go back and make a visit and – so she bought these plane tickets and we went to Italy and I couldn't talk to anybody. Mm. And my grandmother, my mom's mom, who was a thousand and literally looked like a monster to me. God rest <laughs> her soul. But she was like, she literally had like one tooth and like her hair, she was, her hair was falling out and she was just this grizzled old lady. Um, you know, they literally, literally was like, like that. It's like a Fellini movie. And I was like, Oh my God, she's a monster. (laughs) And, um, and I just wanted to go home and then, but I was, I slowly started to make friends with this cousin, my cousin who I'm close to, his, his name's Enzo. And, um, I told this story before, like he, he would come over every day and he'd talk to me and I just wouldn't know what he was saying. And I would like, after a while I'd be like, this sucks. And I don't know what he's saying. And because he had, he had a much more strong accent than my mother. And I was just kind of giving up and I was like, this sucks. And I don't know what he wants and I don't know what he's saying or whatever. And then I remember one day he came over and he had gone to a friend's house cause he didn't have it himself. And he came over and he had a baseball bat and a ball. Mm-hmm. And we went out in the street and we just played baseball. <laughs> and it was like, we couldn't talk to each other but we both understood baseball. So we just like played baseball and then that was kind of okay. And then by the time we left, I was really sad to leave. And then I really, really got into it and really started to identify with my family and, and um, my roots back there. And uh, then my, uh, what really happened, I don't know if this is, this is going way off topic for this, but what really happened was my sister passed away and, um, and my cousin and I, who were very, very close, um, um, 
we kind of lost touch because what happened was my sister passed away. His brother about the same time also passed away in a very bad car accident. And then I came out. Oh, okay. (laughs) And I was like, I couldn't put it together in my head. What was going to happen if I said to my cousin who eight or 10 years ago, I was driving around on Vespas with him trying to pick up girls. Mm -hmm. I was now going to say, Oh, by the way, here's my boyfriend. So, I left and I didn't see him for 15 years. Really? And my mom had gone back and forth and I was always like, how's Enzo? How's Enzo? And finally, David, my husband and I, we had bought a house, a little house. And and my mom had just come back from a trip and she was like, Enzo, I asked about you again. And I said, do you have his number? And she's like, yeah, I have his number. And she gave me his number and I called him up after 15 years. Mm-hmm. I called him up and I said – Hey, it's your cousin from America. And uh, in a very heavy Italian accent, he said, hello, America. And then um, David and I made a trip over there. And um, the first trip was, this is just my friend. Okay. And then the second trip was, I got to tell you something. Uh And he kind of knew. And then we just had the whole thing out about, not even the whole thing out about that we both kind of lost touch and that he lost his brother and I lost my sister. And then this happened to me and whatever. And so then that brought me even closer mm. to him and we became much, much, we're like brothers now. How long ago was this? That was in, uh, 95. Okay. So it was a while ago. Yeah. That, that and, uh, okay. And then, um, and then, and then my mom kept going over to Italy and she didn't have any place to stay because she had married my dad and moved away. And the brothers had kind of divided up, which they had this tiny piece of property they divided. So there really was no place for my mom to go. Mm-hmm. So then my mother, I said, I'm going to buy an apartment. That way my mom has a place to stay. And uh-huh. so do we. So we bought this apartment and then my mom passed away the following year uh-huh. in Italy there. Wow. Yeah. So in terms of the journey that you went on, and as you described, going there as a little kid and not really getting it, not being able to speak the language, when you bought that house and you started going every year, did you start to feel more and more at home in Italy? Oh, yeah. Like when I go over there now and people say to me, because my cousin is very kind of, uh, he's much lighter Mm -hmm. colored than I am. And we will go places and people will think that I'm the Italian and he's the American. (laughs) But what I really like is I'll talk to somebody in the town and after a while, and then finally he'll say, you know, he'll say, the person speaking to me more often than not will say, oh, do you live here? In, where do you live here in Natuna? And I say, I'm, I don't live in Natuna. And then my cousin says, he's from America. And they'll say, my God, really? Your Italian is perfect. Oh, that's great. And it's not really perfect. What they mean is my my Italian is very Romano. I speak Roman dialect for sure. If you were from Tuscany and heard me speak, as my friend who's family was from Tuscany used to say to me all the time, you talk like Fonzie from, <laughs> from happy days. <laughs> okay. So, um, so it's not perfect, but it's perfect. It's perfect. Roman dialect. I'm curious. Cause this is a, a lunch themed podcast and we heard about your lunch today here yeah. in America, but what would your lunch be if you were in Italy? Like what's a typical lunch there for you? There's a, I can tell you, I'd get up in the morning, I'd have my coffee. There's a place called, uh, Mille. Verdure on right two blocks up from my uh my apartment and I go over there every day. I know the guy that 
that owns it. Does it mean a thousand vegetables? Yes. Oh, that was pretty good. And huh? so it's a veg. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. And it's a vegetable and fruit stand. So I'd go there and I'd buy like I'd see what looks good. So mm-hmm. I sometimes I'd get um, artichokes, or sometimes I'd get um, uh, really nice green beans, or they'd have great salad greens, or whatever. I would just look around. A lot of times when I'm there the artichokes are happening. So mm-hmm. I'd get artichokes and I'd come home and I'd make artichoke pasta. Wow. Um, so I take, sometimes I'd make, uh, an artichoke lasagna. I need artichoke therapy because I get so frustrated with, with an artichoke. Yeah. Like really? Trying to peel away the leaves yeah. and cut down the stem. I just, like, I, cut, I just hate dealing with an artichoke. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. It's very Roman. To yeah. Have to it's do very that. Roman. Yeah. And, um, so I'll do that or I'll make, uh, in the winter time when I'm there, and my family really likes this is I will buy, um, uh, I'll buy like, uh, uh dried beans, like, mm-hmm. uh, cannellini beans or, or even sometimes I get they have uh, Romano beans there and they're dried and I'll soak them and then I'll get a, you can go to like one of the butchers. I'll have like the end piece of a prosciutto. Oh yeah. And so I'll make the beans in the prosciutto and then I take a bunch of, bread and toast it and put it in the bottom of a bowl and put the beans over it oh my God. and Parmesan on top of that. You're done. <laughs> and a salad. That's something I do all the time. So you're kind of like living the the dream for a lot of food people. I mean, you're in Italy buying these beautiful produce cooking in your own. I mean, my God. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This, or I'll go hashtag goals. For yeah, me. yeah. Or I'll go to the fish guy and get like calamari and clean them and just fry a bunch of like make a frito misto for lunch mm-hmm. um that's great that's really easy to like all this stuff is sound i mean i guess it sounds complicated if you never cleaned a squid before but it's, <laughs> there's nothing to it not really. a lot to it. does yeah. your husband love your cooking yes and especially in italy or here too or here too he <laughs> likes it here too like he likes when i make like his i would say he's he went vegetarian about a year and a half ago he used to really like uh, carbonara, but he won't eat that anymore mm. unless I do it without the pancetta. But um, he'll he likes cacio pepe, so I make him a lot of cacio pepe. Um, so yeah, those those kind. But yes, it's always my family comes over and eats at our house, and it's always a some sort of a primi piatto. Um, every once in a while, if I get really ambitious, I'll make. Um, ravioli mm-hmm. or something like that. But that that's involves getting up a little earlier in the morning to do that or in gnocchi in the winter time. And you say premium, meaning like there's an, also a second. Yeah. Do you make an like yeah. entree? That's great. Yeah. Um, so I, we, we didn't go into this yet and it seems kind of important, but you said that your mom had a restaurant in yeah. Ohio. But can you tell yes. us more about that? Yeah. Uh, it was called Mama Francesca's. It was a very bad name, but it was a very good restaurant. Was her name Francesca? No, okay. she was, it was, she was in partnership with this guy that she was, that she worked with and her, his mother's name was Francesca. Okay. But, uh, it was, um, it was my mother, um, who was not a really good businesswoman. She's a very good cook, but not a very good businesswoman, but she did all the cooking herself. It was only open three days a week, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I think we held, we had one, one seating, one service at seven thirty. I think it held like, Maybe 50 people. Where in Ohio was this? Cincinnati. Oh, in Cincinnati. Okay. Yes. And we were doing things that I think back then in Cincinnati, people were kind of going, 
what is like a lot of times people would say, what is this? You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> like very authentic. Yes. Italian very food. like my mother would make Christine uh, Christini with, you know, uh, chicken liver, Christini and stuff like that. And sometimes I can remember people going, I don't know what this is, you know, mm. and they wouldn't need it or, you right. know, and so they wanted spaghetti and meatballs. Yeah. They, and, and my mom wouldn't, it, it was, it was sort of big night in that way. My mother just refused to make spaghetti mm-hmm. and meatballs. She just wouldn't, she'd make lasagna. She'd make other kinds of pasta, but we never had meatballs ever, 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 ever. Mm. She just thought it was too pedestrian and not her thing. And even though she wasn't reinventing a wheel with any yeah. of these, because it was a lot of like, Vio Marsala, you know, Involtini, like just st- classic Italian stuff, Parmigiana, eggplant Parmigiana. So it was all kind of like doing the hits, mm-hmm. but done very well and done, as you would say in Italian, Casariccio, which means all homemade. None of it was out of a box. My mom made everything. And so, um, and so that was kind of the menu from from beginning to end. She made the whole thing. And were you as a kid, like growing up, like in the restaurant, where you like doing your homework at one of the tables, where you slicing yeah, vegetables? I would. I I mainly I washed dishes is what I did. Um, and I didn't. Um, I helped her prep in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and then at night I washed dishes. So that was sort of my job. Wow, how so old were you? I all through high school. From oh my like, gosh, yeah. And did you? Because I mean, even as you just talked about it, I got a little sense of pride that you took from it. But did you take it then too? Were you proud of the family? I was, except that you know, I was a high school kid, and I also wanted to like go to football games. Sure. Believe it or not, <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. But um, I wanted to. I went to a very jock all guys high school, mm-hmm. and it was like you were supposed to go to the football games, and I felt bad not going to the football games. But we were open on Friday and Saturday nights. So I worked all the time. So it, I would get resentful about it at times and mm-hmm. get kind of um, not thrilled to be there. I mean, it's it's funny because like your whole narrative and your whole story seems like it could have easily been a story of someone who became a great chef. So where did the TV comedy stuff come from? Where did that start? Boy, I don't know. I, 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 I still think about that now. I think I just like, um, you know, I, the only thing I can think of, and I, I think it always sounds corny when I say it out loud, but I just like stories. Like mm-hmm. I liked it. I like one of the things I really like to do is meet people and hear their story and find out what their thing is. And then I guess I just started to like that. I never saw myself being a writer. I didn't, I didn't really, the only reason I even came out here is because at the time I thought I was going to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't know exactly where it came from. And I don't know. And and I guess the cooking part of it never felt, um, I guess I didn't look at it as having any sort of, I didn't know what the end game with that was. Like right. I'd been around it so much my whole life that I was like, well, what do you do with that exactly? Like I, my mom had a restaurant, but I guess I never saw myself as, as doing that, even though now I want, like I can, I could kill myself because, um, uh, there was a restaurant. Well, you probably know it. Can- when Canale was in Atwater. Yeah, yeah. And they used to do that thing on Tuesday nights where you could go cook. Yeah. If you just had to submit a menu. Sure. And I had talked to her about it. And she was like, yeah, do it for sure. You can come in. And I was like, and David kept saying, put the menu together. <laughs> yeah. But I I was not, again, I felt like I was in that mode of like, I was not trusting myself. And I, I was like, I'm going to get behind that counter and I'm going to freeze. Right. And it's going to be a disaster. That's like and- I had a... Um- I wrote a cookbook 
years ago where I traveled the country and I cooked with all these um, chefs and they taught me different things. And the PR people at the publisher wanted to put me on Chopped, you know, right, that show right. on food. And I was terrified. I was like, no, I, I for that exact same reason, I did not want to clam up in front of everyone. And, yeah. But um, but you can still do that. I feel like there's got to be a venue no, here. No, and I, I sort of had it a little bit, you know, a couple times in the six years I was at 30 Rock, we had a writer's dinner every year and I cooked Two of them. Oh, really? Yeah. So do people go crazy for your food? Well, they still say, I mean, this is a backdoor brag, but they still say, like Tina still says, those were the two best dinners we ever had. Oh my gosh. What did you make? Um, My friend Andrew Guest and I did the first one together. I'll tell you why this reminded me of it in a second, but the first one we did in my apartment. Mm -hmm. And Andrew's mom had a restaurant in New York called... um, Oh my God, I can't remember the name of it, but it was on Broadway, and there was a wine bar upstairs called a wine bar upstairs called Wind Up, Wind Up. Okay, and but I can't remember the name of a restaurant. But anyway, we went over to her apartment and literally got every pot and pan that we could carry home, mm-hmm. and we cooked it, and it was like it was like a mini restaurant because we kind of had. We kind of put tickets up of like when we fired stuff <laughs> oh and when gosh. it was going. That's amazing. Because we had, I think we put like, all told, there was, we probably cooked for about 35 of us. Mm-hmm. And like the production paid for it. So we took out all my furniture in my in my apartment, in my living room and put in tables and, <laughs> and silverware and everything. And we, and then a couple of friends of mine actually agreed to serve and run food. Wow. And we did that. And it was really, really fun. And I, I remember, I know I made pasta. I know we made, um, we had some kind of a soup. It was like five courses. I mean, it was elaborate. And did the 30 Rock Riders appreciate Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember we made chicken. We made this, like, this roast chicken and we and we had, we we plated everything. And then we had all this chicken left over and we just gave the, um, our two friends, my two friends, helped us serve and just put them in bowls and said, if they want more chicken, just go out and give them more chicken. <laughs> and all the chicken, all of it got, everything got eaten. Wow. That's great. Um, and the second time I did it, I, they gave us the studio and I cooked it chopped. Oh really? Yeah. Because somehow Tina had some sort of a hook or we had some sort of hookup with them and they were like, we want to have the writer's dinner. And, and, and my apartment, I, the, Tina was like, I don't know if we can all fit in your apartment again. I, was like, I don't know if we can either. So she's like, so then like the next thing I know, Eric Gurian, who's, who's her assistant at the time, is like, hey, Reg, um, the people from Chopped is going to give us their, do you want to cook, cook it there? And I was like, <laughs> okay, sure. And you didn't have to use like fruit punch and no, like, no, eel but eyebrow. I, it was really <laughs> funny because I got to like, I got to, um, I cooked dinner there and, and afterwards, I had somebody uh, uh, tape me walking down that, you know, when you get knocked off a chop sure. that hallway. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so I um, so I walked down there, but I I had a, they gave me like a prep chef, and he was like a real guy from the show, mm-hmm. and I wanted to make this uh, porcini pasta, and he, we kind of got into it about how much he wanted to. Um, the proper way to get the grit off the porcini coffee filter. Yeah. And I was like, that's how I was telling him to do it. And he's like, no, you've got, you've got to run these under cold water. And I was like, you can't <laughs> run them under, you run them out of cold water. You're going to kill them. Yeah. You can't do that. 
And we really got kind of got into it, and it was kind of intense. <laughs> I would love to watch a video of that. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! I was curious as you were talking about all this, like on Thirty Rock. There's, I feel like there's a lot of food jokes on there and things like. I mean, where, where did you feel like in, in all your um, TV writing? Did you ever pitch episodes about food, about cooking, and how? Oh yeah, we had a uh, we had a uh, there was a again I can't remember the name of the place, but there was a place in Queens somewhere that um, the Teamsters would get these sandwiches Mm -hmm. and they were pretty incredible. Like they were pretty great sandwiches. And so the Teamsters, of course, knew where all the good food was. And so they hooked us up with these sandwiches a few times. And every time they did, all of us would just lose our minds because we had these great sandwiches for lunch (laughs) and they really were good. And I remember we did a, we did an episode about that. Like Tina was like, we should do an episode about they can't, they, they, they all can't get over these sandwiches and then the place closes or something. I forget what it was, but we did stuff like that. And of course, Liz Lemon had tons of food issues sure. because Tina was very much like that too. Like yeah. that all kind of came from Tina of like her weird food things. Like we all had weird food stuff for sure. There was a friend of mine, Ron, who, who was, was notorious when we have to stay late night, like he'd, he'd order a salad and he eat like half the salad and then he'd put it away that's what you did last night. Yes, and he put it away. <laughs> and then and then like if we were still there at like 10:30, he'd go to he'd see him get up and he'd go to the kitchen, and he'd come back and he'd bring his salad. And we'd call it night salad. Oh, okay. And so <laughs> And so we'd sing it, we'd sing it to night fever. So we'd be like <laughs> night salad, night salad. <laughs> we know he knows how to eat it. <laughs> That's basically what you had for lunch today is you had a night salad. I had a night salad. Yeah. I did. Wow. This came yeah. full circle. It went all the way, way around. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're nearing the end. We're not quite there yet, but I mean, in terms of all the resonance, well, I was going to ask you before we do this, cause you said everyone in the room had food issues, but do you have any food issues? I think I struggle with food all the time because I think I like, I, you know, I do that thing where I'm like, I'm not hungry. I'm just going to eat everything on the table. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, uh, I try not to do that. Like, but you know, for me, if it was up to me and I could just do this and not gain any weight and feel horrible myself, I'd eat pasta every, I'm right there with you. I eat pasta every single day. How do the Italians do it? You know, here's what I would say. Every time I go to Italy, I wind up coming back and I'm a little bit thinner because I, because they walk Everywhere, like my family, from my apartment in Natuno to my cousin's apartment or his house where he lives, I would say it's maybe a mile, maybe mm-hmm. a little more. It doesn't even occur to them at night when we're leaving for one of them to go, "Oh, we'll drive you home," because for them it's like, "Well, I'm going to go get the car and I got to go drive <laughs> down walk. there, and then you can walk." <laughs> That's great. Like. And so That's you, like living in New York is yeah, a little bit like it's that. like that. So yeah. it's like you walk everywhere, you do whatever, and then their other thing is, and it's still pasta, yes, whatever. But really, a a, a portion of if you have a preemie portion of pasta in Italy, it's not they're not making the meal mm-hmm. pasta, right? So it's not like here in America was like it's pasta and it's garlic bread. You know what I mean? It's like right. they have some pasta and then they get rid of the pasta plate and then they have their secondi. So it's almost like. 
what would ever be their starch and their bread is is what they eat in the pasta, and then they forget the rest of it. I it's think just so that's hard. I mean, it, it's interesting that you do it this way because, like, like for tonight, like we have a friend coming over. Like, I bought tomatoes, I bought pasta. Like, I'm going to make pasta, but like the idea of making that as a starter and then making a secondi feels like so much more work. It feels like too much food. Yeah, but I think I need to get over that mental hump because I think we'll all be a lot thinner and happier. I just know <laughs> that, like, my mother was always my mother instilled in me, and again, I think this is also the same thing in Jewish tradition. It's like <laughs> the sin of the world is not to have enough food. Oh God, absolutely. And yeah. so you have to give them enough food. And I've I have backed off on the pasta and the secondi, mm. but not much. Right. Like I still I still do it. Like I and, and I have weird food things about it. Like I made I, I it, I'm really into uh French cooking or French anything. I'm, mm-hmm. I speak French and I don't know any French people, but I just love the French. Language. How many languages do you speak? Uh, Italian three, English. Three. Okay. Yeah. I was very impressed. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe a little Spanish. I can speak to okay. Spanish people. Poquito, okay. Yeah. But, uh, but like I made, I made this, I, I was Ina Gardner's, uh, uh, Buff Bourguignon mm-hmm. uh, recipe. It made, it was, it was a vat of right. Buff Bourguignon. And I will honestly tell you, Serving it, just that made me. I ke- all I kept thinking was, what else could I give them? Like, <laughs> what else could go with this? Like, right. and it's there's nothing else to. It's got everything in it. Yeah, you know yeah. What I mean, it's like, it's like more is more. You want more for yeah. everyone. Well, I mean, my philosophy lately is just make too much food, and then you have leftovers. Yeah, you can eat it for the rest of the week. Yeah. Um, well, every podcast here begins with, um, "What did you have for lunch?" But I like to end them with, "What are you having for dinner tonight?" Dinner tonight, well, we're going to a restaurant, so I guess I'm going to have, I will probably have the steak at this place. I hope it's not jar, because that's very far from you. No, we're going to small town. (laughs) Oh, great. Okay. I haven't been there yet. It's good. Um, So when you go to a restaurant, are you, how are you in a restaurant? Do you you like going to restaurants or is it, are you you comfortable there? Would you rather be cooking at home? Would you I generally, I generally am pretty comfortable in a restaurant. We, we, uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't like I would say the only thing that makes me uncomfortable is anything that's too fussy mm-hmm. or too precious. I don't like that. Uh, but generally, I'm pretty happy to go to a restaurant and or cook, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I like doing both. How often do you do both? I mean, like, what's the typical? I probably cook more on the weekend than during the week. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there was a great thing I saw in the New York Times, what to cook thing that I get on my phone that I was, oh, my God, I'm going to make that. Mm-hmm. So I get excited when I see a what recipe. Was it? It was this Indian, it was from Africa, and basically it was like you take kale, I'm sorry, you take shard and onions and something else, and you kind of cook them in a cast iron skillet, and then you put some cream in with it, uh, and the water that's coming off the shard and stuff, and then you take eggs and crack them and kind of drop them in and put like five eggs in there, and they sort of like poach in this... uh, in this thing, and then you put um, that Mexican, you know, that cojito cheese. Yeah, yeah. You put the crumble that on the top, oh and then God. serve it with like lemon wedges. I was like, this sounds like the greatest thing I've ever heard. Well, in the south, I think like cooked greens like that, they call the liquid pot liquor. Yeah. So it's like almost like like eggs cooked. In yeah, because the they were saying liquor. that it, co- it 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 poaches in that liquid. Wow. And then um, yeah, and then you slice up some jalapenos and put them on the side. 
And I was just like, I'm not, I said, I told David, I said, that's what we're having for Sunday brunch. Oh my God. That sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. Wait, so does your lifestyle change when you're in a room and you're working on a show and in terms of your cooking at night, I mean, do you, I mean, I found myself, for example, exhausted. Um, actually, Craig and I got married right before he went to go direct a movie and I started on this TV show. And before he left, I was like a domestic goddess. Like I was cooking every <laughs> night. And then when he came back, I was like, we're ordering in. There's right. no way I can cook right now. I'm exhausted. Right. So do you feel like after being in a room all day, you're still able to cook dinner or? It, it depends. If it, it honestly depends on what the food is. Uh-huh. I mean, strangely enough, if it's going to be something kind of lighter or if I can just grill something, you know, like I, like, like grilling vegetables to me is like also another very like sit down, read a book, mm-hmm. flip the vegetables around, make this great. It's just very easy. But if it's something that's more complicated, I don't know that at the end of the like I feel like cooking for me again, it you need to just be in a clear space. And if you come home at the end of the day and you're tired and you're just kind of like, I just want to go to bed or I just don't want to think about things in mm-hmm. that way. Like, Again, I guess my weird thing about it is I'm, I don't even know that I think I'm so tired at the end of a day in a room, but I feel like I've given up a lot of my communal uh, energy. <laughs> right. And since cooking feels so communal to me, mm-hmm. I don't know that I have enough left over to really do it. That makes a lot of sense. I want to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? You've burned all your, your right. social stuff. Just like want to that, be alone. Like, again, the transfer of the food to the person to me at that point is like, God, I feel like I've been doing this all day. All I've been doing, it just, it was just intellectually, I've been taking stuff out of my brain and going, here, what about this? Here, mm-hmm. what about this? And now I don't feel like coming home and physically going, hey, now I just made you this. Now I have some of this. Right. It's totally get that. It's just too much. Well, I have to ask you before we end, because you talked about learning how to make gnocchi and the rhythm of it, but is it just potatoes and flour or do you do eggs? How do, what is your... I use one egg. I use flour. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you and had it, to walk people through how you do it, could you do it? Yes, I think I could, because I found out what I realized about it was when I was initially told, told how to make gnocchi, I was told to, or what the way I was learning it was, you know, you rice all your... Uh, potatoes and then you russet potatoes yeah and then you um get the get the flour on there and the egg and start putting it together and what i what changed for me was rosanna was like no you got to let this all cool off oh right because if it just puts you just have too much heat in it which is holding the more like you gotta yeah. let that the moisture come off it because the moisture is your enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know that for yeah. a long time, and so it would roll up together. It's 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 a it's a miracle because when you when you've rolled rolled it out as I have many times, and you're going this pasta is not right, and you can feel it in your hand, and then the first time you feel it the way it's supposed to be, and you can take a piece of it and roll it, mm-hmm. and it it. It just rolls by itself. It's just like all of a sudden it just goes from like this. You're like, oh my God, I just made it's like nothing. There's no energy. There's no nothing. It just happens. It's so great. And how do you serve it? Sometimes I use, sometimes I do a red sauce. Um, but what I like to do is just um, butter and then I fry sage and yeah. just put that on it. Oh my God. Okay. I'm very hungry right now, which is a good sign. Well, John, thank you so much for thank coming you. on this podcast. This so fun. It was really fun. All I right. hope we did enough lunch stuff. We, I hope oh yeah. Do you feel analyzed? 
Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, a little bit, but in a good way. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like your lunch didn't seem to fully represent you. And yeah. so I feel like going into the other stuff was a way to really capture the whole yeah. picture. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I understand you better. Good. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Excellent. Right, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. 